Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Sticks and Stones. You're here with E, Jit, and Mac. What's going on, fellas? What's up, bro? Pretty much. Yeah, so uh, tonight, guys, I know we're approaching the holidays, and you guys have seen the title and the topic. So tonight we're going to cover uh, where mental health matters. So I'll turn it over to Mac uh, to present us with our guests. Let's do it. So tonight... We had the honor of speaking with Cole Water's own. Uh, he's a preacher, a poet, a writer, a speaker, an educator, the senior pastor at the historic West Hunter Street Baptist Church in Atlanta, and an avid mental health advocate. So I present to you, without further ado, Reverend Dr. Cedric Bond Jackson. Hey, brothers, how y'all doing? Dr. Jackson, what's going on? Oh, it's all good. I'm glad to be on. Thank y'all for having me on. How y'all doing? Doing good, man. Good. Thank, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Yep. So we know we know you had, I think, Bible study tonight. So thanks for carving out some time uh for us tonight. You know, um, you know, giving the man his time before us. And we, you know, we definitely respect that. And you know, we can make adjustments. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, I we can make adjustments. So uh, the time. Yep. So uh, you know, we we uh we brought you on tonight. Um <clears throat> you're our um, fourth, third or fourth guest now with Sticks and Stones. And, you know, I know we mentioned all the time about how we uh, try to stay close to our roots on people affiliated and from Coldwater. And uh, you, you've accomplished a lot. So um, with that, I know Matt gave the introduction for you and, you know, told introduce to some and present to others, you know, Dr. Jackson. So I want to kind of open the floor to you first before we jump into it and just tell us, you know, a little bit that we may not know or, you know, uh, people who don't know you, tell them who you are. Okay. Um, so again, I appreciate you guys for having me on tonight. Um, I'm Cedric Vaughn Jackson. Cedric Jackson uh, grew up in Coldwater, uh, graduated from Coldwater High School in 1990 um, and um, left Coldwater and uh, went to went to Ole Miss, University of Mississippi. That's where I met my wife. Uh, I've been married for 28 years. Um, I've got 28 years in education. Um, up until um, last September, um, last September, I got um, called. I accepted a call to um, the historic West Hunter Street Baptist Church here in Atlanta um, to give some perspective. Uh, one of the former pastors of West Hunter Street um, was Dr. King's best friend, Ralph David Abernathy. Mm. Um, and so I'm following in big, in big shoes um, with that piece. Um, but again, um, you know, I uh, before I came to Atlanta, I was um, what they call a bivocational pastor. So I was pastoring a church, but I also had you know another job. I was in education, um, taught for eight years with Shelby County Schools, um, was principal at Senatovia Elementary School for about ten years. Uh, walked worked two two more years in the district um, in Senatovia at the central office. Um, then came to Coldwater, was principal in Coldwater for about a year and a half. Um, and then for the last six years of my um, educational career, I was at um, St. George's Independent School in Memphis. And um, like I said, I came here in Atlanta, came here to Atlanta last last September. And, um, and it's been a good ride so far. I'm loving our church and uh, just being able to do some new things. Like Max said, um, you know, I'm a mental health. Um, I, I like to consider myself a mental health advocate. Um, I don't consider myself a mental health professional. Right. So. 
Um, I do have a doctorate. My doctorate was through the seminary. Um, and when we were working on, um, my doctorate is called a D-man, a doctorate of ministry. And with that degree, um, so we're working in the context of a church and we have to identify an issue or a problem in the church. Or we had to identify an issue or a problem in the church um, and then write our dissertation based on how, as a pastor, we would address that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to talk about something that a whole lot of people um, in the church are not really talking a whole lot about. You know, we got all these topics in the church, um, got several topics in the church that we don't really talk about. Uh, and mental health and mental illness is one of those topics. Um, and so I, I wanted to do my research and my work on how the church could could go about addressing you know, this issue of mental health and mental illness. A um, little bit about my own personal story, and I don't, I don't mind telling this because um, I think there are not a lot, and I don't think there are enough people out there that share their story, mm-hmm. uh, their own personal stories, um, but I've got what we call lived experience um, with mental health. Um, the first year, um, the first year that I was uh, principal at Coldwater, um, that's when I when I came to realize that I was um, that I had um, a mental illness, a mental health concern. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety that year. Um, looking back, I, I even saw, you know, I can look for the signs, you know, that came about in my life even before I came to Coldwater. But but the stress of that job was really, really what brought it out and brought it to the forefront and made me, uh, first of all, start seeking help. Um, and then doing the work that I can to, you know, help other people move towards getting themselves some help. So that's that's kind of my story in a nutshell, you know. Okay. And, and look, not not to jump deep into cold water. I know you probably seen some episodes when we talk heavily on cold water. So yeah. um, um, I, I'm just gonna ask this. So in in that role at cold water, I know cold water is close to your heart. It's close to your family's heart. You know, we all have mad respect for your parents, you, um, you know, your family. Um, what? What do you think drove you to that point? Was it the pressures that you put on yourself or was it like you just trying harder because it was cold water and it was close to your heart? Did you know? Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I took the job at cold water because I was really trying to be that hometown hero coming back and, you know, kind of kind of trying to help save the day and everything. Yeah. But I will say this. There were, um, you know, every job has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um and, but there were things about the job and there were things about the state of the system. Uh, there were things about the, the relationship between like the district office and the school itself um, that they didn't give me the whole nine yards. They didn't give me the whole story on. Um, then on top of that, like you said, I, I do in just about everything that I do, I put a whole lot of pressure on myself anyway. Um, but then just thinking about going in, so, like, I accepted the job, like, in April. Mm-hmm. I was still working in Senatobia, and I was interviewing teachers in Coldwater at the same time. So I was kind of mm-hmm. doing two jobs at the same time. And when I say I was interviewing teachers in Coldwater, that summer going in before we started school, I had to replace 40% of the staff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I said, there were a lot of things that going in, they didn't tell me on the front end. And then on top of that, the pressure that I was putting on myself, the pressure I felt, you know, that I was that I was feeling from the district office and from the community. That's that's when stuff really started to come to a head for me. Yeah, I, mean, I think we should have named this part one. I think you deserve two episodes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> At um, least two. Hey, that's why they created an edit, but. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
just, just as a follow-up, and like I said, I know um, we're going to jump into um, the rest of what the show is about, but when you saw the news last week, the official press release, like what 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 type of emotions or anything did you have um, coming from that, knowing what you know and the experience that you um, sh- uh, you know had being a principal for a short time? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even before I accepted the job, there was talk about them closing cold water down. You know, um, we could start to see some of the writing on the wall when they first built Strayhorn. And then when they built the new high school at Independence, um, you know, at the same, I mean, they did, they took all, they took on all these different projects, right? So they built the new Coldwater Elementary School. At the same time, they built the new school in GMA Strayhorn and they built the new Independence High School. So really, um, again, you can see the writing on the wall, what was coming down the pipe, um, because first of all, they took, they, they bit off more than they could chew. They, they tried to do too much at one time to build three brand new schools in that district was just that that wasn't a wise decision. Um, and like I said, when I when I took the job at Coldwater, I started hearing, you know, I, I knew about the rumors of, of them and I had seen what was going on in the news. And I heard all the talk that we just one year away from them closing down our school. Uh, when I got there, um, I, I could see that. Um, some of the resources they, that they were pumping into the other schools, they were not pumping into cold water. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, um, and, and I went back and watched the, the episode with Ashley from, I guess it was that last week mm-hmm. um, yeah. when Ashley was talking about, you know, when she got to the university of Arkansas, she had to, you know, get tutoring because they didn't offer the classes at cold water that they needed to offer in order to prepare the kids graduating from cold water or the real life once they got to, you know, the college level and everything. Um, and so some of that stuff was going on when I was there too. Um, we we had to bring teachers in from Independence and Strayhorn to teach some of the, uh, some of the upper level classes. Um, we had to, we had to use like um, learning by remote where they had, I mean, so we were doing virtual <laughs> learning before the pandemic hit at Coldwater because, you know, we had, classes that were taught by professors at Delta State. Um, and the kids had to watch the lessons on TV and then turn their assignments in. So um, when I when I saw when I saw the official news, you know, I wasn't surprised. I don't think anybody was surprised. Um, I, of course, you know, being a graduate and, and when you lose, you know, your seventh through 12th grade school, you don't have an alma mater anymore to go back to. So, you know, where whereas other people have you know, I'm going back for homecoming. You know, if they get rid of the seventh, seventh through twelfth grade school, we have no more homecoming to go back to. Um, and so things like that are are hurtful. Um, the, at the same time, though, and I and I know the busing is an issue, and and sending kids to Strayhorn or Independence that's going to be an issue for parents who you know have to work, and if a kid gets sick, they can't immediately get to their kid, you know, to 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 pick them up from school and things like that. So that's an issue. Uh, but at the same time, so I, I see more cons in it. I see more um, problems with it. Um, but I think the one positive thing is that now, even though busing and, and getting kids to the different schools is going to be a challenge, um, I, I don't see um, it continuing to be a problem where our kids don't have access to the resources and the classes anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they're going to refuse to if they're going to refuse to send the resources, then, you know, at the very least, they're making it available for our kids to go to the resources where they can get what they need. And so I'm, I'm sad. I'm disappointed. 
I saw the writing on the wall from from years ago. Um, and I'm hoping now that in spite of all the difficulties and challenges, I'm hoping that, you know, our kids in Coldwater will still will be able to get what they need uh, to truly be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all agree on that at this point. You know, there was a lot of emotions rising when the news first broke. And but, you know, we had to look at the bigger picture. Right. But we we also want, you know, decision makers to be able to support the decisions. So I, th I think that's what it really boils down to. Right. Right. Yeah. Matt. So, Dr. Jackson, I remember a few years back, uh, I think I had just dropped the album or maybe it was a while after um, you heard PTSD or seen the video. And then you invited me on a live to uh, speak about mental health, PTSD and so forth. And so um, when we were discussing people to bring on, uh, that was one of the first things that popped up in my mind, especially with you being an advocate. Um, I like to consider myself an advocate, although um, it's, it's more personal and, and more personable when I when I talk to people that I deal with and soldiers that I deal with. But uh, so we wanted to bring bring you on for that. And and as a result, well, not as a result, but just can you tell us what piques your interest regarding mental health and, and how you began your journey to make a change? Yeah. So, like I said, um, what really what really piqued my interest was me going through my own struggle uh, with with major depressive disorder, with anxiety. Um, and so I'm thinking, man, you know, if I'm going through these issues and problems, then surely there's somebody else out there that's going through some similar issues. Um, and when I started digging into it, it's, it's more common than people really want to admit and talk about. Um, you know, in any given year, one out of four, one out of four, one out of five, depending on what, you know, research you look at. Um, but one out of four, one out of five, 20 to 25 percent of the American population um, is going to have some kind of mental health concern. Um, so then I started thinking about that from from like a pastor standpoint, from a church standpoint. And I'm thinking, man, so like that says if I've got a church that's got 100 members, then that's 20 to 25 people in my church that's going to have some kind of mental health concern. And that's a lot of people, you know, um, that there are more people that are, are diagnosed with um, new mental health concerns each year than there are cancer patients. Um, there are more people that have, you know, these diagnoses every year than there are, you know, people that are, that are taking high blood pressure medicine or, or, or diabetes, you know, it's, it's so, it's so prevalent but people don't want to talk about it. And so, um, as a matter of fact, I'll say, I'll say this when I, um, you know, um, growing up in church, the first place you go is, is your church or your pastor. Right. Um, and y'all know my pastor, y'all know, we, I mean, we pretty much got the same pastor. Um, so when I told, when I told past, I said, um, look, man, I need you to pray for me. Um, I've been diagnosed with, with major depressive disorder and anxiety. He, he couldn't believe it. He said, um, he said, wow, I, I never would have imagined you were the one because you seem to be the one that's all you seem to be one of the guys that's always got your stuff together. Hmm. Right. You seem to be the one that's always got your stuff together. And I would have never imagined that you would be living with with, you know, depression and anxiety. And that's that's part of the problem. Right. So the reason we don't go and get the help that we need is because. We've been trained, and especially as black men, 
right? We've been trained to give off this image, um, this front, this facade that says, I got to have all my stuff together all the time. I, I got to look like I'm always making the boss moves. I got to look like I'm the one. I'm, I got I, I to gotta man up. I can't show my emotions. I can't, you know, those kinds of things. And so, again, back to your original question, why what piqued my interest was knowing that I was living with this, but knowing also as a pastor, I got a responsibility to help other people that, that, are, that may be struggling with similar things. Um, you know, we, we talk healthy lifestyles and eating right and, and going to the doctor for, you know, for physical issues, diabetes, cancer, blood pressure, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about PTSD, um, depression, anxiety, bipolar. We don't talk about that stuff. So that's really what, what, what piqued my interest in it. Yeah. So, so Dr. Jackson, two things. First thing is, who gave you our list of questions? Because you're already ahead of us. <laughs> you know, you know, you know mine twice. So, now. so, so I don't appreciate that now. <laughs> but, uh, I, I will not. I real. I will not reveal my source. Hey, hey, I, I got you. I got you. But, uh, that, that's good stuff, but no, man. I mean, but, but no, we. I mean, we can address it. You know, in more depth. No, 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 no man. Do, do you do? Like I said, uh, we, we we put questions together because we want the answers. And we don't want to stop somebody when you're giving us the answer to the test already. So, yeah. you know, we, we're going to let it flow. That's, that's what right. we're going to do. And um, the next thing, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head because, uh, you know, I asked you about the pressures at Coldwater. And we, we all, I said we all, the four of us on this call, been in positions currently or been in position in the past and probably are currently still in positions where we are considered the strong one. And I think that's a that's a big issue in our environment. Because I know I'm always looked at as a strong one, whether it's with school, family, friends, you know, whatever. But you what I do realize is, what, what's that, man? I say, you look strong. <laughs> so so what, I, what I do realize is, uh, similar to what you said about, you know, when you were at Coldwater, you know, um, when, when I'm in a, in a job where I have an assignment and I don't sleep well at night, that's a form of, you know, I guess you would say mental illness or anxiety or depression or whatever, because once that project or that assignment is done, I sleep well. But the biggest thing is, I think we are, we're all at a point where, you know, you got to be the strong one. You got to be twice as good and all that. So I think our community put that on us and it goes way back to slavery, in my opinion. But I, I don't want to keep jumping that gun. But Jordan, I'll just pass it on to you. But I just wanted to call that out and share that with you. Yeah, I was just, you kind of touched on this, but I guess um, I would ask um, as a pastor and then also um, being a mental health advocate, how do you decipher between what you're going to address from the pulpit and then what needs to be addressed um, in, in, in a council, you know, counseling setting, so to speak? Okay, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. So from the pulpit, so let me go back to my doctoral work, right? So a lot of my doctoral work was based on, all right, so we're looking at, so we got this book, we got this Bible and and we, you know, in the church say everything you need, you can find it in the word of God. That's an old Cortez song, right? Sir, um, don't see. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so if, if we believe that, then what I'm dealing with with mental health is supposed to be in there too, right? So what I did with my project and, and my dissertation was, okay, so as a, as a preacher, 
how am I gonna how am I gonna read the Bible with my mind turned to looking for issues um, of mental health concerns, looking for um, looking for hope and healing, um, looking for examples um, where mental health issues might have shown up in the Bible, and so so I'm so. Um, uh, from a clinical standpoint, there's a book called the DSM-5, right? So the DSM-5 is this thick book, and it lists every mental disorder that psychologists recognize, and it lists all of the indicators, all of the symptoms, right? And there's, there's this guy by the name of Matthew Stanford, and what Matthew Stanford did was he took the he took the DSM-5 and say you're talking about uh, schizophrenia. All right, or multiple personality disorders, um, like like Herschel Walker said he had. Right, so you take uh, <laughs> you take um, he took the DSM five. He took like all the descriptors for uh, for schizophrenia for multiple personality disorders, and then he took um, like in Mark chapter five. There's this story of this man that's living out in the graveyard, and he is um, he's cutting himself with stones, and he is. They try to chain him up, but he keeps on breaking the chains. And it says that the folks sent him out into the cemetery to live. And then when Jesus comes up, he runs out and he meets Jesus. And the voices um, in the man's head start talking for the man. Jesus asks, what's your name? And the man says, um, my name is Legion, for we are many. Right. That wasn't the man talking. That was the voices inside his head talking. So what Matthew Stanford did was he took the DSM-5 indicators for schizophrenia and he said, okay, hearing voices, self-destructive behavior, um, um, hallucinations. Um, it says that he was howling like an animal. So, so um, behaviors that don't demonstrate human behavior, right? So, so what we in the church read that is, how we read that, we say that's demon possession. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, because that's specifically what it says. I mean, it says he was possessed with these demons. So we in the church say that's demon possession. But what Stanford said was, OK, maybe it is demon possession, but maybe it was this culture's way in the best way that they could understanding and explaining what schizophrenia and multiple personality disorders was. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I read through his book and 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 how his work where he took the DSM five and for schizophrenia, for bipolar, for depression, for uh, narcissistic behavior, for PTSD, all of these disorders, there are there are characters in the Bible that you could if they if you could lay them out on a psychologist's couch, you could label them with some kind of disorder, some kind of mental illness, some kind of dis mental disorder. Job, uh, PTSD. Yeah. Job, PTSD. King David. Um, depression and anxiety. Uh, Samson. Um, Samson suffered really from um, from from narcissistic behaviors because I mean he 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 knew that God was so on his side that he started lifting himself up and and even tempting God and saying you know what um, here it is. Um, so from a from a preaching standpoint, what I did was um, I learned how to look at different characters of the Bible and I started writing sermons based on those characters, based on what mental illness showed up in their life. Hmm. 
right? And then I started talking about in my sermons, and I would preach this no matter where I am. Um, I, I would preach if I'm doing a if I'm doing a mental health sermon, I would preach. Okay, these are the indicators that showed up in their life. This is where they where they sought God and how they saw God and how God helped them, and this is how the community around them either helped them or failed them in that situation, right? Because a lot of dealing with mental health issues um, is is personal on a certain level, but it's also having the community around you that's going to support you in the way that you need the most support, right? So that's why folks go to the church. They think they can go to the church because the church is going to support them. So, um, but going back to like to the man in Mark chapter five, the community sent him to the to the to the cemetery to live. Why you send folk to the cemetery to live? Because you don't know what to do with them. Because yeah. you don't know how to support them, right? And mm -hmm. so we start talking about how you know nobody deserves to live in a cemetery. Nobody deserves to have society throw them away because they're dealing with their stuff. And so it's not just an indictment on this person and their faith in God but it's also an indictment on the rest of the church, the rest of the community to be there and to tell folk, look, I hear, I see what you're going through. I'm here for you. I may not understand what you're going through. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I preach and teach <laughs> and not every sermon. I don't address, you know, mental health in every sermon. Um, but when I, when I preach it, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. And then from a past, from a counseling standpoint, um, I'm, I'm not a licensed therapist. Um, and I joke with people all the time. So let me let me say this too. Um, I, I always, when I have a chance to talk about mental health and mental illness, I always let folk know, first of all, that I've got a diagnosis. I also let people know that I am on medication that I take every day. And you know you have to identify yourself. <laughs> I didn't know Bumblebee was gonna be a guest. <laughs> Hey, 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 man, Bubba be a pill of this uh, show, man. <laughs> hey, hey, he's a mainstay. Oh. He, don't, he don't know it, but he is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I let folks know, first of all, I got a diagnosis. I get, I let folks know I got, I, I'm on medication every day. Uh, and I let folks know that I, I got a counselor. I got a therapist. Um, and when I moved to Georgia, I had to find a new one. Um, because all of those pieces are so important in addition to my faith, right? I, I got, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, so I gotta have, I, I gotta have faith, but faith is just a part of your care plan. So when mm -hmm. I'm counseling with people, when I meet with people, I tell them, look, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to say I understand what you're going through, but I'm, I can relate. Um, but I also tell them, look, when I go to my therapist, so I let them know I got a therapist. When I go to my therapist, my, te my therapist, and I joke, I say this jokingly, um, but I say my therapist has taught me three or four tricks, three or four coping mechanisms or skills. But so I'm going to tell you what those three or four are. But once I get through telling you those three or four, what I'm going to tell you is go see your own doctor. Yeah. Go see your own therapist because yeah. that piece is so that's it's so vital. Yeah, and, and that's that's good stuff, man. Because um, you know, as we were kids coming up, you know, in the typical church, I'm not gonna say all, but in the typical church, you were here just pray about it, just pray about it, and you know, um, pr prayer works. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think we all have a, a spiritual bone in our body, and we all believe. 
you know, he died for our sins and you know, and so on. But he gave us he gave us common sense too. So you have preachers out here who will teach the opposite, not to go see a therapist and not to you know get on medication and all that. But when you when you know that God gave you five cents to make the, the rational decision, how can you go against that? Because that would be the same difference as saying, don't take high blood pressure medication. Don't get chemotherapy. You know, don't get that broken arm fixed. It's going to heal on its own. Right. So where, where does that make sense? Right. I mean, and he, I mean, so and, and that that issue that you're talking about right there has has been studied, too. That um, that when I was working on my when I was working on my doctor, I came across this study where um, this guy asked four basic questions. He, he had a, he had a group of people that had a diagnosed mental illness. I, and, and it ran, you know, it ran the whole spectrum, depression, anxiety, PTSD. I mean, the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. And he he had a group of people and he asked them four basic questions. Question number one. So we know that when people have these issues, the first place that they go is the church. All right. Question number one. Did anybody in your church tell you that you didn't have a real mental illness, even though you have been diagnosed with one? Did it's question number two? Did anybody in your church tell you that the re, the result of your mental illness is because of some sin you committed? Hmm. Number three, has anybody in your church ever told you to stop taking your meds? And number four, has anybody in your church ever told you that the reason you're depressed and suffering from this, this mental health concern is because you're possessed by some demon? So all of these things are faith based and you would be surprised that like the question about has anybody told you to stop taking your medicines? 40 percent of the people responded saying, yes, somebody in my church told me stop taking my medicine. And the person that told me to stop taking my medicine was my pastor. Wow. Hmm. I mean, and, and the numbers of of those, you know, issues where where it was the pastor that said I mean it, like 30% said you know it was my pastor that told me I was possessed by a demon it was 40% that said that my pastor said I didn't really have a real mental health concern you know and those numbers like you said we we don't tell people don't I mean well <laughs> when you say we don't tell people there are preachers out there that tell folk there are pastors out there that tell folk Oh, we're just going to pray about your high blood pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the reason that you're suffering with cancer or or the reason you're suffering with diabetes or, or whatever is because you don't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that's crazy because that's, that's what Psalm teaching. Right. Right. And and it's crazy because it's, it's not just it's not just hearsay. That the church is the first place. It's documented research that says that the church place, especially black folk, the first place that people go when they suffering some kind of when they dealing with some kind of mental health issue is the first is the church. It's researched, it's documented. And we got preachers and pastors out there telling folk you ain't got enough faith. Mm. So, so question, question for you, Dr. Jackson, on that. And, and, and I know we're we're you know open forum, so it's opinionated. Um <laughs> Would you suggest going to a clinic first, then church, if you feel that you really have any issues? Because, you know, um, some some people get to the point where they can't deal with it. 
And, and, and would you rather them go and, and pray about it? Or would you rather them go and get the uh, the medication and the help that they would be more instant or they would get a better response from a quicker response from than prayer? Well, so the issue with. I would suggest going to the church first. OK, and, and but he, it, it is a real unique reason why I say this. The reason I'm saying this is because. Um, therapy, psychologists, counselors are are booked are are full their their schedules are full and you can't get an appointment sometimes for three to six months gotcha right and so you you got that length of time that you're dealing with where you're not getting any kind of help at all right and you know there are most pastors are not trained i'm not trained as a therapist or a counselor i'm i'm a good listener I'm a good empathizer. I'm, I'm a good person to say, okay, I hear what you're saying. Tell me more about that. Okay, let, okay let's unpack that a little bit more. Why you, why you feel like that? What makes you say that? Where is your evidence? Right? So when people come and they having self-esteem issues and, and I'm no good, I can't do so-and-so, so-and-so. Well, what, what's your evidence? What's your proof Right? That, that, you, that you are no good husband or no good dad? What's your proof? Or is there more proof that says that you are a good husband or a good dad mm -hmm. than there is? So, I mean, and, and this is one of those tricks that they taught, that they taught me in therapy. Right. So if I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm not a good preacher. Okay. So write down the reasons why you say you are not a good preacher. All right. Now on the other side of the paper, write down what you think or what society thinks makes you a good preacher. And what I'm hoping as a pastor, as a counselor, as a therapist is that when I look at my list, I'm going to, uh, my good stuff is going to outweigh my bad stuff, right? And and that's really the reality of it. And what we don't want to do as black folk is sit down and take the time to write out stuff because we think journaling and writing stuff down, that's for white folks and everything. But I can come up with a whole lot more reasons why I'm a good husband, why I'm a good pastor, why I'm a good father. I come up with a whole lot more reasons why I'm good than I can why I'm bad. Right. Because most of the stuff when I come up, most of the stuff I come up with on my bad side, that's going to come out on a bad day. Mm. Right. And so we got to learn how to look at our lives as 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 this continuum that has, you know, bad spots on it. But the but the majority of the continuum is good. Just because you got a bad day don't mean you're going to have a bad month or just because you got a bad month. don't mean you're going to have a bad year. Yeah. So, Dr. Jackson. From your uh, website or bio that I read, it was a quote of the following quote says, can you imagine a world where the stigma against mental illness is stamped out, where people grow in their awareness of mental illness and where those who suffer find strength, encouragement and healing uh, for you? What contributed to those thoughts? That's 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 what I want. That That's what I want for myself. Right. I want to I want a world. I want to live in a world where if I say, hey, everybody, I got depression or, or I live with major depressive disorder, I want to live in a world where, okay, cool, let's sit down and talk about that. I don't want to live in a world where the minute I say I've got major depressive disorder, people start labeling me as crazy, right? Because when we, we the reason we've got stigma is because of, a lot of times, because of the language that we use to talk about mental health concerns 
right? So once a person starts saying, I mean, I've talked to people before when I start suggesting that they go to see a counselor, they'll say stuff, well, I ain't crazy. Hmm. I, I didn't say you were crazy. I, you need to go to a counselor so you can talk about these things in a setting where it's safe for you to talk about it. Because, I mean, I, I take a great, as a pastor and a preacher, especially where I am now, um, I, I take a risk by going out and saying, I got depression and anxiety, right? Because next thing you know, the whole community is blowing up and it's blazing. West Hunter Street got a crazy pastor over there, right? I mean, as a matter of fact, I even had one pastor, I was talking about my own struggles um, and I had, you know, one pastor that told, one preacher that told me, you need to stop talking about that. Don't, everybody don't need to know that about you. Well, my take is the reason I'm letting folk know is because if, because see, people had, people have preachers and pedestal, uh, preachers and pastors up on this pedestal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, y'all ain't supposed to have these issues. Y'all ain't supposed to have, you're not supposed to suffer with this. And if you're suffering with it, and you're supposed to have this connection with God like that, then what's my hope, right? Well, uh, <laughs> in one of my poems, I wrote, uh, I was human before I was holy. Mm. That's a bar, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was human before I was holy. Um, and so, um, yeah, I forgot what the original question was, but yeah, that's kind of. No, you answered it. It was yeah. hope and, and what contributed to your thoughts. So you answered it fully. Yeah, I mean, again, that's what that's what people want. At the end of the day, I don't care what kind of issue you got. Even if you're not dealing with a mental health issue, if you're dealing with you can't pay your bills, right? This ain't this ain't got nothing to do with mental health. But if you're dealing, well, it does. But <laughs> if you're dealing, the college would be the priest. Right, right, right. But if you if you're just dealing with on the surface level, I can't pay my bills, right? I don't need judgment. I don't need I don't need folk to tell me how I wasted my money, or if you didn't do if you didn't do so and so, you, then you would have been able to pay your bill. I don't need that. What I need at the end of the day is for you to shut up and listen to me. Tell you and 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 allow me to vent. Give me safe space to vent so I can talk this out. Right? I don't need your judgment. I most of the time I don't need your opinions or your suggestions. I don't need your advice. Most of the time. When folks start venting, they ain't looking for that. They ain't looking for opinions. They're not looking for advice. They're not looking for suggestions. They're looking for, will you just listen to me while I get this out? Because a lot of times, and that's why therapy is so important, right? So a lot of times, my therapist ain't ever gave me advice. What my therapist did was gave me safe space so I could talk about what I'm dealing with. Because a lot of times, when I hear myself say what I'm dealing with, I discover the answer on my own. Mm. They just gave me space to talk about it where I wouldn't be judged. Yeah. And you made, you made a good point um, before we uh, got on that topic. You said that people don't want to be judged and, and people will make the comment that somebody's crazy. So I, I know even when I was a child, I, I remember hearing grown folk talk about kids. That boy's just crazy. Boy, that boy's so loony and you know, all this kind of stuff. He need a crazy chick. Yeah, yeah, he, he getting a crazy chick, you know, all all that, you know, and <laughs> so when when we look back and you think about that, you know, what impact do parents and adults have on kids when they're young and they can't control getting help? You know, should they send their kids to get help? Because some some parents and some you know adults 
send kids to get Ritalin and all these other drugs, saying they're too hyper. So it's another end of that spectrum, too. It's not just about depression. So, you know, being being hyperactive, that's not really an illness to me. Or do you think it is for a kid? Um, from a clinical standpoint, um, they have started grouping or labeling ADHD um, under mental health concerns. They, they've started doing that. My take on medicine, um, especially when it comes to kids, um, and even in my in, even in my sense, right? So I, I say I'm on medicine, and I've been on medicine for about eight years now. The hope is for me to one day get off my medicine, hmm. right? I, I don't I, I don't I don't want to be on medicine for the rest of my life. I might have to, and that's a reality that I have to be willing to accept. Right. But the hope is that I eventually get off my medicine and what is supposed to happen between getting on medicine and the day where I hopefully prayerfully get off of it is somewhere along the line. I'm supposed to learn the coping strategies and the coping strategies and the coping skills that I need in order for me to deal with my depression and anxiety without having to depend on that medicine. The original thought behind um drugs like Ritalin and Adderall and all of these was, okay, so we see you're hyper, all right? The hope is, what we're going to do is we're going to put you on this medicine with the intent of you not being on this medicine for the rest of your life or the rest of your school career. And in between you getting on this medicine and the day that we hopefully get you off of it, you're going to learn some skills to help you calm yourself down, to help you think before you speak to help you think before you act, to help you not be so impulsive. Um, and so my only problem with medicine, especially when it comes to like ADHD medicines and those kinds of things is uh, people think that the medicine is the magic pill and it's gonna fix everything. And it was never meant to do that. It was meant to put you in a space where you can learn some coping skills so that one day you can get off of it. Training wheels. Yeah, that's mm. it, yeah. Yeah, so Dr. Jackson. On your journey to becoming a, a doctor of ministry, you completed a dissertation, as you, as you mentioned already, entitled Rethinking Mental Health in the African-American Church Through Preaching, Teaching, and Hospitality. Um, I think you addressed address some of it already, but specifically, why did you decide to address those topics in your dissertation? So, uh, <laughs> the <clears throat> dissertation, so... It was actually going to be another name. And my advisor told me, um, you're trying to do too much. Uh, you're trying to do. I was trying to bring um, I was trying to bring the poetry side of my preaching into it. Be right so, back, fellas. I got you. I was trying to bring I was trying to bring the poetry side of my preaching into it. So I had three H's. Um, I think I had three H's. No, but anyway, so um, first of all, preaching and teaching that. That, I mean, that's just what I do, you know, as, as a pastor, that's what you do. And if you're going to address it, then if you're going to address mental illness, mental health, you know, these are the easiest ways to do it right through. It's, it's easier for me to address it through my preaching. It's easier for me to address it through my teaching. And if I can, what I'm what I'm going for is um, what I'm going for is heightening the awareness and the understanding within my within my church. Right. And what's going what's going to be the I'm, I'm looking to, um, I guess, in today's church language, I'm looking to shift the atmosphere in my church as it relates to mental health and mental illness. 
And so as a preacher or a pastor, the quickest way for me to shift the atmosphere in my church as it relates to mental health is to preach and teach about it and be consistent in preaching and teaching about it and be responsible in preaching and teaching about it. Um, and then the hospitality piece comes in uh, where, you know, comes in with this idea of, you know, understanding the need to open up and, and to create safe space where people can be who they are. Um, and not just, not just in mental health, but in a whole lot of ways, the church is just way, traditionally, the church has always been just way too judgmental, right? The church has been way too judgmental. And not only way too judgmental, but in the church has been not only too judgmental, but it's also been inconsistent in who it decides to judge, uh, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's been inconsistent in who it decides to judge. I mean, so the same rules that apply to me ought to apply to everybody else in, in the building or in the body. And the church doesn't always operate like that. Prime example, right? So back 40, 50, 60 years ago, if a girl got pregnant in the church, then we in Mississippi, we got relatives in Chicago. We're going to send the girl to Chicago to live with the relatives up in Chicago until she had a baby. But then we don't do nothing to the boy. And the boy's sitting right there on the front row of the church. <laughs> but we judge the girl as if she got pregnant by herself and the and the boy get off scot-free. Yeah. Right? So so and 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 it's the same or 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 a girl in the choir get pregnant, right? Well, she got pregnant. She can't sing in the choir no more. But it was the drama that got her pregnant. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'm on the drum. I want to talk about. I want to talk about you, Joy. Okay, it was you a quiet drum. You feel on the drum? <laughs> Sticks and stones make break my bones. So, so I said that to say, you know, we got to. First of all, the church is too judgmental. And then the church is too inconsistent on who the rules apply to. And so that's where that whole hospitality piece comes in, where I'm saying, look, we, we got to turn this. We got to turn this into Planet Fitness. This got to be a no judgment zone. Woo. You know, if, if people are going to get healing and people are going to get help. There's a way to point out a person and, and, and not to say that mental illness is wrong, but there's a way to point out a person's wrongdoing without being judgmental. There's a way to point out where a person is going wrong, leading them to, into a space where they're going to get help and fix it without beating them over the head with the Bible. And so that's, that's where the, that's where the hospitality piece comes in that we, that uh, I want to create, I want the church to be a safe space where we can talk about this, talk about our issues, talk about our mental health, talk about our depression without being judged and called crazy. Yeah, and, and a lot of young adults these days are on social media dealing with depression, you know, anxiety and everything else. And to that point, the judgment zones, is, is that a lot of reason why we're losing youth in the church these days? I believe so. Um, I, I believe the judgment zone and, and the other piece that we're losing youth in the church is because the church is trying to, and, and I hate to say this because it's so cliche, but the church is playing eight track tapes 
and the kids are streaming music. Mm. Bars. So, you know, the church is playing eight. No, the church is, no, the church is playing 33 LPs. <laughs> and and the, the kids are streaming on Spotify, right? And so the church has to update, not the message, the message stays the same, right? But the church has to update the method. Delivery. Right, yeah, the delivery. Um, and so, yeah, so again, that judgment piece. Uh, but then again, the church has the the, the church has to shift and, and adjust to the times. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, Eric just touched on um, the kids being on social media. So, like, and I know we're all parents here trying to raise kids in this, you know, era of, uh, you know, social media. Like, what what signs should a parent be looking for that would be, uh, I guess, a telltale sign that their child is being, you know, heavily influenced by social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I wish we had more young viewers on tonight. Um, but so I'll, I'll, it, it, it'll be streamed. They can go back and watch it. We just got to get them to watch it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's streaming. All right. So, um, so first of all, and I think y'all understand this. Um, I, I don't, you know, if I'm a, we got this this era, this age where we got all these social media influencers, right? Um, influencers don't put their worst days out there. Yeah. Right? Influencers don't put, you know, they everything that the influencer put up it has 13 filters on it. Mm-hmm. You know? And so... And 13 takes. Right. 13 mm-hmm. takes, 13 filters. You know I mean, it, it's all kinds of editing that goes into it. And, and so when an influencer puts something out there, they're putting out their very best product, right? But we got our kids that are watching the very best of these influencers' product, and they're sitting back saying, man, that's the life I want, when the life that they're trying to live is not the real thing. What they, the life that they're trying to emulate is not the real thing. And so we as parents have to teach our kids that, first of all, that that you know everything that you see on social media is not real. Yeah. You got to understand, and and you got to stop comparing yourself to that kind of stuff because what you're comparing yourself, you're comparing your reality to a facade, mm-hmm. right? So you got that. And 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 as a preacher, pastor, trust me, I struggle with that myself too. Sometimes that I had to be real careful, um, not to compare myself. You know, so the church that I'm pastoring. You know, it's a larger church than what I was pastoring in, in Mississippi, but it ain't no mega church. Right. So I have to be careful of and I had a good friend that told me he when I got ready to come here, he said, man, I'm proud of you. But I'm praying that God protect your heart and your mind when you get out there because you are in Atlanta. But you you ain't Jamal Bryant. You ain't E. Dewey Smith. You you are not going to what they call a mega church. So don't be trying to compare yourself to a mega church, right? Um, yeah. About four years ago, um, I was a, I had applied, I had left Mount Zion in Sardis and I was applying for a church and I was in the top three. Um, and I mean, I, I wanted this church bad. Or at least I thought I did at the time. Um, and I didn't get it. I lost the church by like three votes. I lost by three votes. For a whole month, I wouldn't go on social media. 
because for the week after that, every time I went on social media, I saw somebody doing something that I consider big in ministry and I couldn't do what they were doing. So I had, and that's a part of my anxiety and part of my comparing myself and part of my, you know, so I had to back up off of that and say, you know what, watching this social media, watching these videos, these posts, that's not helping me. That's not helping my mental state. So I got to cut back. And so that's why I be deleting people. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's why. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> you heard it from Dr. Jackson. So, yeah, I ain't just cutting folk off because I ain't just dealing with them no more. I just, you know, some folk I don't just deal with anymore. But anyway. You got to feed them with that long handle spoon like my grandma. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, that's long, Yes, sir. <laughs> um science science to look for in your kids though um changes in behavior changes in behavior um and that's not just kids that's adults too um and we can check ourselves but changes in behavior stuff that you used to enjoy that you don't even that you don't enjoy anymore and from an adult standpoint i mean if I'm being real honest and transparent, if I go through a phase where I just don't find joy and pleasure in sex, then guess what? I might have a problem because that's something that's supposed to be enjoyable. Right. Right. And I get to a point where, you know, I don't care. I, you know, I don't find joy in that. Then I've, I've got a problem. Um, losing focus in school for kids, not being able to focus. You see a drop in there in their grades all of a sudden for no strange reason, um, for no apparent reason, um, that's a sign. Um, changes in their eating habits, either eating a whole lot more than they used to eat or not eating as much as they normally do. Those are signs. Um, we live in this time where a lot, where kids, kids wear hoodies and, and long sleeve sweaters in the summer. <laughs> right? Just, just musty. Right, right, right. But what 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 researchers found out is, be careful of that and watch those kids closely because, like the man in Mark chapter five that was cutting himself with the stones. Yeah. Sometimes kids cut themselves to give themselves some relief from mental issues that they're dealing mm -hmm. with, and they don't want their parents to know about it. So now it's June and I'm wearing a hoodie. Mm. Right. So so wow. difference. Say what now? And I, I, I never thought about that. I thought it was just a trend. Yeah. I mean, so now, now we're taking arms, moving forward. We checking arms. Yeah. Look, you not help. You just hope me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and some of them, you know, some of them it is it, it is just a trend, but not for everybody. And and kids, kids are smart. They they say, you know, um, you know, my my parents they out of the loop. They don't understand what's going on. And you know, I I'm a, I'm gonna get some relief by cutting myself. And they ain't gonna know because I'm gonna wear this hoodie. And why you wearing that hoodie? Everybody doing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's those are just some of the uh yeah, Brittany says changes in friend groups. Yep. Yep. So those those are just some oh. of the some of the things to look for in, in, in kids. I know in the military, like anytime I go to the clinic, go to the doctor for a checkup, uh, all of those things you just listed are on the intake form. All of those questions. And I know if the points add up to a certain amount, then they're going to refer you to see somebody 
um, or ask if you want to see somebody to discuss mental health. Um, so I don't know. You know, I ain't been to a civilian doctor in a long time. About to cross that bridge in a little bit, but I do know, like, in the military, like, th- those very same questions that you were asking are, are on there. Yeah, more and more civilian doctors are starting. To ask, I don't know if everybody's doing it, um, but more and more are. Um, more and more are. Um, and I know that every time I go to see my, my therapist, every time I go to see my therapist, I have to fill out another um, scale to let them yeah. know where I am for that moment. Yeah. So uh, Laura just made a comment. Think parents are not giving or paying attention. And I know you were talking about the hoodies, but the, the biggest thing that I've seen is kids walking around and I'm talking about babies. My son, eight months old. And if I'm sitting on the couch with my phone in my hand, he's reaching for it. You know, he's trying to turn my iWatch off my phone. I mean, off my arm. So, you know, the, these iPads, these phones. Apples, as you call them. These apples that, that parents are putting in these kids' hands. Sometimes it's to educate them, and other times it's to get them out of their face. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's the wrong approach. And a lot of that can start there. You got these different videos the kids are watching, inappropriate, um, you know, depressing. They don't know they're depressing, but the parents are not, are not vetting the videos. Right. So what, what part do you think the social media, I know the, the technology to get the social media plays into that? Mm-hmm. So um, in education, we have always... Uh, battled with this idea of monitoring um, monitoring screen time for our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when, when I was a kid, it was just monitoring how much TV we watched or how close we sat to the, you know, TV screen. Don't sit so close to this TV screen. You're going to, you know, now, go now, by. Now, now, you know those shows went off at 9 o'clock when you was a kid. Can <laughs> <laughs> I have 12, please? They went off at 12. <laughs> Okay, all right, 12. We're getting yeah, 12. I ain't, I, ain't the, I ain't the nine o'clock generation. <laughs> we, we'll give you 12. Okay. okay. Mash and mama family. Mash. Barnaby right. yeah. Miller. <laughs> uh, so so again, screen time has always been an issue since that since you know since television you know came came into being. The problem now is we take our screens with us everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. Um and so like you said, um, the videos that that we allow our kids to watch, we need to vet those because, I mean, a couple of years ago, there was this video that kids were watching and it was um, Momo or something like that, um, where you watch this video all the way through to the end. And then, you, I mean, it seemed innocent, like a, a 15 minute, 30 minute video seemed innocent on YouTube. And then for the last 30 seconds, is showing this this character from some horror movie, and it's, it was like some kind of subliminal subliminal message in there that was suggesting the kids harm themselves and somehow. Yeah, somehow. yeah. yeah. yeah I remember that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So just just the idea of what we allow our kids to watch, um, and also going back to the signs to look for in our kids. Um. Sometimes our kids will straight up tell us, and sometimes we may have to ask, but. There is nothing wrong with when you see changes in behavior with your kid. There's nothing wrong with going to your kid and saying, you know, I'm I'm noticing some differences in you. Are you going through some stuff? Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Mm. Right. Um, some people think or, or, or just being point blank. Have you thought about 
taking your life? Have you thought about suicide? Have you had suicidal thoughts? And a lot of people think, well, you know, if I ask my kid that, then that's just putting the idea in their head. No, it's not. So, um, I ain't mean to cut you off. I just yeah. wanted to comment right there because uh, we just moved from Washington last week and I got a message from Jayla's teacher. Uh, it was an email. Um, one of the students, I think was a junior or sophomore, had committed suicide. Um, and so just that's just how relevant it is in these kids. Yeah, yeah. Um I I think and I'm and I'm I may mess the numbers up, but I think suicide is maybe number four on the list of causes of death of especially black males between the ages of like 16 and 35. Yeah. And while we while we're here, um last week, you know, um I think everybody's, you know, pretty much seen it now. So, um, DJ Twitch, yeah, DJ Twitch. Like, I just recall seeing them, you know, making TikToks, dancing, happy, smiling, and all that. Like, and I just, you know, the same day, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I just, I mean, you just, you never know. So, I'm, I mean, what, what was your take, you know, seeing that, or, or were you familiar, you know, with his work? Um, I had seen him, I, so I wasn't like a, a big Ellen, Ellen fan, um, but I had seen him a few times, um, and I didn't see the TikTok that he posted um, until after after he had taken his life. Um, but that's the that's that's the reality of so many people when when we don't pay attention, right? So like when I when I first when I when I went to pass and told him, you know, the highly functional part, right, yeah. right. You know, I um, I, I've got depression and anxiety. You, you, you can't, you can't have, you can't struggle like that. You got all your stuff together all the time. Yeah. And so, and again, that's that's a part of that's a part of the problem. We don't feel safe enough around each other to be real. We don't, we don't feel safe around each other or safe enough in society to be able to say, you know what, I'm struggling. Right? We we give these we give these church answers. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Hmm. Yeah. And we don't we don't we don't we don't live in honesty. And and, and to, to that point, um I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but a few years ago my wife went uh, through physical therapy school. And there's not a lot of physical therapists, first of all, it's a high demand for them, and there's not a lot of black physical therapists. So those programs are ridiculous. And you know, she went through some anxiety during you know, during her her journey to become a doctor. And um, she started talking to a therapist and I didn't even know it. So at, at times, you know, we may not be comfortable talking to our mate or our spouse or family members. And we have to go outside of the home to get to get help. Um, so, you know, I, I think she, she made the right call, you know, because depression and anxiety could set in. And um, that therapist had answers that I would I would have had for. Yeah. I, I I recently thank you for sharing that. I I recently um came home from a therapist uh, appointment, and uh, my wife was like, "So what did y'all talk about today?" And I was like, <laughs> "You ain't cheating on your therapist. You don't get to know. You don't get to know that. You don't." Have- 
trained. You're not quite. You're not trained to handle that one. G14 <laughs> classified. Right. <laughs> hey, so, Eric. Um, go ahead. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch back on uh, what we was talking about: kids and screen time, and uh, just because it's some of the stuff that I've dealt with. Um, raising a teenager and raising kids that's always on their phone. Yeah. Um, so we talk about limiting screen time and, and the things that they see. Um, but I think it's equally important to not just limit the screen time, but also talk about those things that are inappropriate because you can limit the screen time at home, but when they go to school and their friends show it to them, and then, like, you think everything is under control because you're limiting your screen time, but they being exposed to stuff you don't know about, and they're not going to tell you about it, and then you don't find out until, you know, it's, maybe it's too late. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can't monitor them. You cannot monitor them 24-7, all right? Because, um, I, I, again, going back to my cold water days, um, I mean, it, it would blow my mind that they, that they would go to the bathroom and play this game called 10 Seconds. Uh, and they would get into a fight in the bathroom filming it and it's showing up on, on Facebook and, and, and the parents had no idea. Yeah. Right. So you can't monitor them 24 uh, seven. And also when you start talking about limiting screen time, you also have to figure out, okay, so if I limit screen time, what am I going to replace screen time with? Right. So, I mean, I can't just take it. I could. I could just take away your phone because I'm your dad. I'm your parent. But what am I going to replace that time with that's going to be productive? Right. So if if I if I limit your screen time, does that mean that I'm expecting you to do a certain amount of exercise? If I limit your screen time, does that mean you got to do a certain amount of reading? I mean, so you got to you can't just say I'm a limit screen time and expect that to work. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be able to replace it with something positive. Yeah. And the biggest thing is, too, some of these parents will say, oh, they can't get on nothing. I don't know. They don't. You know, I know what they're getting on. You can't remember your password. Facebook. How do you know what they are? Right. Right. You, know? <laughs> you got 13 profiles. Right. But, but you got control over their phone. How, how do you do that? <laughs> and, and they know every back door to they. Yeah. They I mean, you, yeah. you at school, you run a computer lab and you got firewalls and you got parent controls. Kids know every back door to every monitoring device we can come up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I got to the point with my teenager where I'm just blunt, I'm vocal, just because, like, I just don't want to sugarcoat nothing, and then you'd be surprised when you go out into this world, this cold right. world. So yeah. I'm going to have to give it to you straight up right here right, um, with no filter. So when you hear somewhere else, you're not shocked and surprised or acting like uh, or green, as they say, where we from. Yeah. Being so naive to it. Yeah, but, uh, Dr. Jackson, um, I'm going to transition. Not really transition, but I'm going to get back to my questions. Uh, looking back on growing up in cold water, do you feel you can identify moment, uh, any moment or moments that seem normal at the time of occurrence, but definitely could have been related to like mental health or mental illness now that you're older and wiser? Um, it could be personal experience or something that you experience in other parties. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna give you something that was abnormal for the time, and I I didn't, and I don't even think I. You know what? What I'm about to say, I have never said in public before. Um, we getting the exclusive on sticks and stone. Thirty first. Um, 
I, I mean, I don't, I'm serious. I don't even think I talked to my parents or my sister about this. Um, but knowing what I know now about mental health and mental illness, um, there was an episode in my childhood. I mean, and y'all know my, y'all know my parents, right? So we grew up in a house full of educators and they were, there were high expectations and, you know, um, we, by today's standards, I'm sure all of us on here could say that by today's standards, we were probably, we, we probably suffered child abuse as children, um, by today's standards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, it was actually around Christmas time or, or not too long after Christmas. And, um, I, um, I remember I was probably about eight or nine. And I honestly believe that it was at that time when I had my first suicidal thought. And it was, it was, it was around Christmas time. And for whatever reason, I didn't feel like Christmas had gone the way I, I thought it should have gone or whatever. I, I don't know what I was expecting at eight or nine years old, but it was around that time when I had my first, um, my first suicidal thought. And, and I was, I was, <laughs> I went and um, I, I tell my therapist now that one of the reasons I have not taken my life is that I don't like pain. So, um, so if I, if I figure out a way and a plan where I, where I, it won't hurt, then, you know, that might be, have, might've been on the table, but I don't like pain. Um, but anyway, I, I, um, I remember sitting in the floor in my house and everybody had gone to bed, I think. And I, I took a cone, right. And I wanted to see how I felt. Took a fine tooth cone and was just rubbing till I rubbed it raw. Cause mm -hmm. I, and I was thinking about what would it be like if I wasn't here and how is this going to feel? And if this is a cone and it's, it's hurting this much, what would it feel like if I had a knife? Um, and like I said, this is the first time I think I've said that public. I know I've said, first time I said it publicly, I know. Um, and I don't think I've ever mentioned that to my parents or my sister or anybody. So, uh, there you go. Um, well, thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. First of all, yeah, yeah. It, it takes a strong being to share that, um, you know, and, and you said one of the reasons. So I'm, I'm hoping it's, you know. So let me. OK, so the other reasons are <laughs> why, why, <laughs> why did I not go through? So so let me tell you, let me tell you what my plan was, because when, when you ask people, when you talk about suicide and you ask people, you know, have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought about taking your life? Um, do you have a plan? All right. So that's so after you ask that question, the next question is, do you have a plan? Um, because that gives you an indication of how much they have actually thought it out. Right. Um, yeah. I'm my, so, yeah, my plan is I'm, I got a gun. I just bought a gun. I'm going I'm to I'm shoot myself. Or my plan is I'm going to take a whole bunch of sleeping pills and just go to sleep and not wake up again. Um, my plan was to, uh, my plan was to drive off the interstate on my way to work, um, in cold, into cold water bottom, just south of the cold water river. That was my plan. Um, and I could see myself doing that. Um, I visualized myself doing that. I woke up the first semester of work, um, just about every morning. Um, I woke up, uh, crying, not wanting to go to work, like, crying to the point that my wife had to push me out of the house 
going to work. Work where? When you say work. In cold water. In cold water. That's yeah. Um, and so that was my plan. Um, so asking the question, you know, do you have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought thought about taking your life? What is okay? Do you have a plan? Uh, and ask and and if they got a plan. So any any of those answers, yes to any of those questions, is an automatic flag when you need to recommend somebody to go find some help, or call and make the call make the call for them, because that's that's especially a risk. Especially if they got a plan. Yeah, especially if they got a plan. Glad glad, glad you didn't go through with your plan. Um, oh, the other reasons. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so one, I don't like pain. One, I don't like pain. Um, two, um, and, and that's funny because my therapist has asked me the same thing. Um, two, I've got too many people dependent on me. I've, I've got too many people dependent on me. I've got, I've got my family. I've got my wife. I've got my children. Um, I've got my church family. And on one hand, that puts some pressure on you. But when you when you realize that you've got these people depending on you, then you start to realize your worth and your value. Um, so that when the enemy comes in and tries to tell you you're worthless, you don't have any value, then you can say, well, wait, yeah, I do have worth and I do have value because I've got these people depending on me. So um, one, I don't like pain, but two, I realize I've got too many people depending on me. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that's the main one. <laughs> yeah, Man, I, I, can, I can tell you now, I don't care how many shows we do from here on out. This is going to be my favorite. Yeah. This is, this is going to be my favorite because pe people need to hear, you know, you got a lot of people now dealing with, um, you know, anxiety and stuff. And that to your point earlier, they don't, don't want to talk about it. But I think just by you sharing your story, it relieves some people. You know, it's going to allow people to know that you know, it's not the end, you know, it, there's a way out. Yeah. And, and the way out could be through church, through, you know, clinical, clinical help, you know, medications, family, friends, you know, people depending on you and, and all that, because, you know, it's a variety of reasons why people deal with depression and anxiety and, and all those other things. But uh, you, you never know what somebody's going through. That's right. Um, I just wanted to bring up, um, I guess, the pandemic. You know, I'm, 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 I guess we're still in a pandemic. Um, but like, can you just speak to like how the isolations and the restrictions and all of that could have, you know, just played a part in, you know, or, or possibly taking a toll on someone dealing with mental uh, health issues? Because I, I mean, I know it affected everybody one way or another. So, uh, just kind of speak to to that. Um, yeah. Um, so the way I see the pandemic um, and and dealing with living in it and then trying to come out of it and try to live afterward, um, I, I I compare it to um, I compare it to the grieving process, like when you when you lose a, a a spouse, when you lose a loved one, right? Because whether or not you had somebody that died. During the pandemic, we know we had millions of people that lost people to the pandemic. Um, but whether or not you had somebody that died, you still had some kind of loss. And anytime there's loss, there's a grieving process that you have to go through. 
right? So it's not the same as losing my mama, but if I lost income during the pandemic, that's still a loss. And so I'm grieving over that, right? Or um, I lost, you know, I, th they didn't die, but I lost connections. So I was isolated. And so there's grieving over that. So, so the whole pandemic, I think the common thing that brought us all together was the fact that everybody lost something. Um, and so everybody was grieving. And so as we as we lived in that um, from a from a church standpoint, if I'm going to put church language to it, the way that we minister to one another and the way that churches and pastors should have been there for um, um, our members was just to be there and to help people walk through their grief, um, to be able to 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 provide comfort, um, because, again, all of us lost so much. Um Understanding that, you know, just like how we say, you know, you never know exactly what a person is going through. Um, understanding that we all handle grief and loss in different ways. And again, going back to that hospitality piece that but when I understand that all of us are grieving, but all of us grieve in different ways, then I can't judge you for how you how you grieve. Right. What, how, what I can do is to be there and support you while all of us are grieving. And, and that's, that's, I think, what we need to do a better job in, um, in ministering to one another as we, as we continue to live with whatever this pandemic is at this point. So in our community, um, the black community specifically, it seems to be, you know, a stigma. We're getting help, stigma amongst the lines of mental health. What are your thoughts on older generations within our community and their uh, seemingly blatant disregard for mental health. Do you feel like it is or was due to a lack of knowledge and resources? Um, I think for the older generation, um, I don't think, so first of all, I, I know that we always deal with a lack of resources in our community, right? So not just in mental health, but in healthcare period, um, we've got, you know, a lack of resources. Right. We we don't have we don't have the best insurance that's going to take care of our diabetes and high blood pressure. And we sure don't have the best insurance that's going to take care of our mental health concerns. Um, and so we've always suffered from a lack of resources um, from a, from a historical standpoint. And, and here's another reason, I think, why um, mental health and mental illness is such a taboo in our community. So going back to the days of slavery. Um to keep us enslaved, to help keep us enslaved. It wasn't just the church, right? It wasn't just the church that, that would preach uh, slaves obey your masters, right? They, it, it wasn't just the church that would teach certain parts of the Bible or tear other parts of the Bible out and say, this applies to you, but this don't, right? They were doing that kind of stuff from the medical field too, especially in mental health. And what they would do with mental health of people who were enslaved is they would ask the question, why would you want to be free? Why would you want to be free? Because when you are free, then you got to deal with paying your own food bill, paying your own housing. You got it. So the only people that will want to be free when you got all of this right here coming from master's table is somebody that's got to be a lunatic. So they would diagnose people who have been recently freed in an extraordinary amount of disproportionate amount. Um, they would they would they would diagnose them as being lunatic mm -hmm. because they desire freedom. 
because why would you want that when you got all this at master's house? Right. And so that stigma has carried forward from all the way back then to today that. So I, I, I don't want to go see a doctor because I don't want the doctor to say I'm crazy. I don't want the doctor to say that I am a lunatic. Right. And then they carry it even further to the point where we have people today that say, well, you know, OK, so, yes, I've got problems. Yes, I've got problems. But why would I complain about my problems that I have today when my parents went through so much worse than what I'm going through right now? At least I ain't got to fight off the police with the dogs and the fire hoses. At least they ain't bombing my church. At least they ain't doing this. And then the generation that generation looked back and said, well, you know, why would I complain about what I'm going through now from a mental standpoint? I got to be strong because they may be lynching in the 60s, but they ain't lynching as much as they were in the 30s and in the 40s. And so each generation looks back on the last and says, I got it bad, but I don't have it bad as my foreparents. Hmm. So if I don't have it as bad as, as my foreparents, then I owe it to my ancestors to be able to stay strong right now. Hmm. Right. So, you know, and, and that that continues that cycle. And and mm -hmm. and on top of that, every generation wants the next generation to have it better than we did. So you got all of those issues that are continuing to compound. And and like Eric was saying, you know, about his wife um, going through PT school um, and, and there are not a lot of blacks in that field. It's not a lot of blacks in mental health fields either. And so we've got. We don't we, we don't have. First of all, we got to be convinced to go to a therapist. And that's going to take some strong convincing. And then once I go, I can't find a therapist that looks like me. And if I can't find a therapist that looks like me, then that, I don't I'm not finding somebody that understands culturally what I go through on a day to day. And so I've got this distrust in the system that keeps on building because don't nobody look like me and don't nobody understand me. When I was a. Uh... When I was making my album, which kind of served as my therapy after losing my parents, right? Uh, yeah, that track where you broke down and cried, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the interlude, got a, a God talk interlude on there, and it's a therapy speaking. Um, and I put that in there, but doing research and trying to find what to pull with that song, it was a, I was watching these TikTok videos, and that guy that's on there, I forgot his name, but uh, basically, he was in a situation where he was looking for therapy, uh, couldn't find a therapist that looked like him, uh, couldn't find people that relate. And so at some point, he was talking to a therapist and uh, explaining those things to him. And it's a point in the song where he says, I became a therapist in therapy. And, and he's basically saying, uh, you know, the therapist told him, like, you have the answer to all of your questions and you're the person sounds like to me for your community and so he was just saying like that's where he began uh, his journey to become a therapist after after those lack of resources and, and that kind of hit me in the face at a point yeah and, and, and i think it's only fitting too mate that we um finish the show tonight with god talk you know i already told you this one of my favorite favorite one so i think we need to finish the show with that tonight uh yeah, so people who haven't heard it here because it, it's it's therapy itself you yeah. know yeah it's a to hear that um, while we got a quick pause, um, Dr. Jackson, we want to be respectful of your time. Are we 
We good to push conversation forward. Okay. Long as y'all, long as y'all want. My wife don't get out till eleven. <laughs> Note taken. <laughs> it's eleven Eastern, right? Eleven Eastern. I got one hour and six minutes left. <laughs> you've been you've been talking about you know slavery and you know I know Mac just mentioned you know the black community, but like I guess at this point, what can, what can we do to start trying to um, break down some of those strongholds, you know, um, of trauma that have, you know, heavily played, you know, our community. Um, keep using platforms like this, first of all. Keep using, um, I, I, I'm grateful and I applaud y'all um, for, for taking on this, this topic. And, uh, and I'm thankful for y'all including me in the conversation. Um, so continue to use platforms like this. Um, and then, you know, tell Sean, I explain it in a minute. <laughs> so I, I'll explain it in a minute. Um, so continuing platforms like this, continuing forums like this, taking it, um, doing it virtual, doing it, you know, carving out some time. I mean, we got, I, I don't know what people's connection is to, to Mr. Wayne King, but doing a forum at, at the People's Choice in Coldwater. I mean, the, the more conversations we have like this, the better we're able to talk freely and openly about the issue, yeah. right? Um, all, all of us, I mean, the pandemic, for example, that was traumatic for everybody. Everybody, we, we talk about depression and anxiety, but nine out of 10 of us have had some traumatic experience in our life, right? Whether it's devastation from a storm, uh, loss of a loved one, a, a long-term illness. I mean, all of these are traumatic events. And so what we do is we, we, we put on these forums and have these discussions where people can talk about it, where we bring in the experts. Um, so like at, at, at my church, you know, we don't have a therapy center in our church. That's part of our vision that I'd like to see taking place in the next three to five years. But what I did realize is that I've got some retired social workers. I've got some retired, I've got some, some, some counselors and some therapists that are working right now. And so what I do at our church is, you know, once a month for about seven to 10 minutes during our worship service, we have what we call our monthly mental health moment. And I have one of my social workers or one of my therapists, one of my counselors that are, that are professionals get up and talk about different issues in mental health. You don't have to have, you don't have, you don't have to have the perfect infrastructure to, to have these conversations. Um, like, you know, I, Pat Alexander in, in Coldwater, Senatobia. Patrick has, has, has a great forum. He he's a great platform um, to bring in uh, some people that can talk about uh, from a respectable level, um, some trauma that goes on in our community because the, the work that he does uh, as far as black liberation is concerned, that's, that, that's understanding trauma among our people yeah. and how we're going to join together and, and, and help pull one another out of that. And everybody didn't always look at it from the standpoint that we got so many different things going on in our communities 
that are interlocked, interwoven, if we would take the time to figure out how they fit together. Mm. Yes, good point. Um, before, I guess, we transition to, to talk more about getting help, uh, how dangerous do you think phrases like uh, suck it up or just get over it or pray about it, how, how dangerous do you think phrases like that are when people are, are crying out for help? Absolutely dangerous. Um, so much of stigma is attached to language. So, so much of stigma is attached to language. So when you tell people suck it up, when you tell people man up, when you tell people get over it, it's not that bad. Uh, when you tell people, what do you have, when you ask people, what do you have to de be depressed for? You got so much to live for. You got so much positive stuff going on in your life. Why would you be depressed? Right? Nobody wants to hear that. And the more you use that language, the more people go into themselves and shut down and don't share uh, what it is that they're really going going through. Um, if you if you like I said, language matters. Right. So if you hear me when I talk about suicide, I'm real careful with the language that I use. And it is re it's real subtle. But I try to make it so that you will never hear me say use the phrase committed suicide. And here's why. When you say committed suicide, what are things that you commit? Crimes. You commit crimes. And if I say commit suicide, then I'm treating suicide like it's a crime. And then when I bring my theology to that, when I bring my religion, my, my church life to that, if I've treated suicide like a crime, then when I say commit suicide, my religious mind says you automatically going to hell because you committed suicide. You committed a crime. And people are, are, are dying, are, are, are dying. People are dying before they're dying because you already told them they're going to hell. Hmm. And, and the Bible never says that suicide is the unforgivable sin. It never says that. Nowhere. Mm -hmm. So language matters. So like, so when we, when we um, call people crazy, telling people they need to man up, when we say things like if a person we know is living with schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, we'll say, oh, that, that, that old schizo. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the language that we use continues to further stigmatize the condition. So we got to be careful with the language that we use. That's good stuff. Yep. Uh, tell Sean I wore this shirt on purpose for tonight uh, because it says I've got 99 problems and 86 of them are completely made up scenarios in my head that I'm stressing out for no absolutely for absolutely no logical reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife. <laughs> So yeah, uh, that that's that's mental health in a nutshell. I'm stressing out over stuff that I made up in my mind is, is never gonna happen. Yeah. Most of the stuff that we, the, most of the stuff that we have anxiety over, most of the stuff that we're worried about, it, it don't even happen. We 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 we're stressing ourselves out, and it don't ever happen. Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Jackson, you mentioned um, you just talked about you know not saying commit suicide. So what, what advice would you give someone tonight who's listening, who may have thought about it or just feel like giving up? Just like what advice would you give them right now? 
talk to somebody who understands. Find somebody who understands. Know that whatever voice is telling you that you are not worth it, know that that voice is a lie. Know that you have more worth and value than people will give you credit for. Know that you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. Know that there's always hope and find somebody, find you some help. If you are seriously considering suicide, if you're seriously considering suicide, find somebody to talk to. I mean, and, and I just, I, I actually just, um, there's, there's a hotline, uh, there's a national suicide hotline and they actually made it easier. So it used to be like a 10, 11 digit number uh, and they still got that hotline available. But they have made it short. They have there's an emergency number you can call 988. And um, yeah, if if um, talk to somebody, and I I just talked to somebody. I just talked to one of my church members yesterday, and they have had suicidal thoughts. And I said, look, I need you to promise me something. I said I need you to promise me that if you have these thoughts again and you get to the verge of being about to do it call me yeah. it's just it's just that simple call me yeah. I, I may not say the right thing but call me yeah because yeah. because what people need to know is that somebody's there for them yeah and, and, and we have, we have more questions but you know I know this is a, a sensitive topic for song and we want I want to make sure I got that in there before we got too far and we lose people uh following the show but uh, we, we can carry on, fellas. But I want to make sure that we touch that. Yeah. Yeah. We have so, a topic of getting help anyway. Go ahead, Joy. No, I was just going to say, so, um, you know, just say I'm, I'm watching tonight and, you know, I'm listening to you. And uh, I've decided, you know, to go get help. I'm going to go seek help. Right. Can you kind of talk about what the journey um, looks like um, as well as the destination? Right. Like what what are the steps for somebody who just may not know or may be scared going into this to go get help? But what does that journey look like? So um, I'm going to start off by saying the destination. When you when you first started, when you first said destination, I thought, wait, man, it's, it's not a destination. But the destination. Is to stay alive. Yeah, that's the destination. The destination is to stay alive. What does the journey look like? The journey looks like, first of all, admitting that you need some help. Then taking that first step and, and doing some research and finding places that you can go to help. But the journey is also a journey of trial and error. Okay. Because you, your, your first, I'm on my third therapist. I'm on my, I'm on my, I'm on my third therapist. The first therapist I had was good. Um, she helped me through a lot. The second and I, and the reason I left her was because my insurance changed and I had to find somebody else that was in network. The second therapist that I had was not a good fit for me because he found out I was a pastor and preacher and he wanted to stay in the realm of religion and faith. And that, that wasn't what I needed. 
I, I, I don't need, I don't need you to quote me scriptures. I, I can do that on my own. I don't I'm need the scripture quoter. Say again. I say you the scripture quoter, not him. I mean, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> I don't need you. To, I don't need you to quote me John three sixteen. I don't need it. Um. So he wasn't a good fit. So I found, and and then I moved. So I I just fired him altogether and just stopped going to therapy for a minute. Um. But then when I got here transitioning here was um yes transitioning here was a major thing um because one it's a move completely out of state uprooting my whole life and for six months i was over here by myself and my wife was back in olive branch and so that so i had that grief period right that loss this was a loss for me even though i was moving to, you know, even though I was being elevated, it was still a loss. And so I had to find another, um, another therapist here. Um, so it's trial and error. And so far I like the therapist that I have right now, but if the day comes when he thought he starts throwing me signals that, you know what, you're not getting me right now, then it's time for me to get another therapist. Mm -hmm. Dr. Um, Jackson, let me interrupt you right there. Okay. So, um, just for the people listening that like you said it's a it's a thing of trial and error it's, it's like finding the right barber um but just like when i got to washington when we moved to washington my first therapy appointment i didn't like his voice and i and i switched so like don't think like oh i'm gonna find the perfect person you might find the perfect person right off the bat but understand like if you don't like something change it if you don't like what they have at this grocery store go to the other grocery store and shop so you have the availability to do that. Right, right. I mean, and and and, and like you said, it, for him, it was it was the voice, right? I, you know, young folk nowadays talk a whole lot about, you know, I got to feel a certain vibe, right? It That's a legitimate thing, right? In the church, we call it discernment. But young folks say that it's, it's just a certain vibe, right? I, 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 I ain't vibing right with them. If you ain't vibing right with them, you got they ain't the one it's something telling you that trust that instinct trust that intuition that discernment that that this ain't jailing right this ain't this ain't gonna this ain't gonna cut it right laura said but just don't give up or quit and i want y'all to know i'm this that that laura that's one of my church members here now. i was about to say it's one of your members yeah <laughs> hey, laura. Yeah, that's a singing sister right there, boy. <laughs> I think this one right here is for you, uh, Dr. Jackson. Okay. Miss Annie Todd. Oh, hey, Miss Hey, Miss Annie. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Jackson. Yes, sir. Uh, speaking of getting help, so a lot of parents may or may not be properly equipped to deal with the emotional state of, of the children, their children at times. When when do you feel like a kid should see a therapist or, or should it be like a regular checkup for our physical health and, and why? So um, I definitely think, so we were talking about ADHD a little while ago and I, here's, here's another moment of transparency. So uh, my daughter, my oldest child, um, she was ADHD growing up or she, I guess you would say she still is, but she's, learn to cope with it right one of the things that i saw going on in the school system was 
parents taking their kids to their primary care physician and saying things like, you know, my kid is having trouble staying focused in school. And next thing you know, and that was basically it. And next thing you know, the kid was on Ritalin or Adderall, right? One thing that we made sure we did when when our daughter was was struggling was, yes, we went to our primary care, but we also went to a psychiatrist, right? Um, and the psychiatrist did like a full battery of psychological assessment before we even started considering medication, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there is therapy and counseling that has to go along with or even before we start talking about medication. So if you start seeing your child struggling in school, or if you see these behavior changes, if you see the, the grades dropping, you know, once you ask four or five times, you know, what's going on, it, it might be time for you to consider therapy for your child. Because there may be some things going on. I mean, and again, <laughs> I, I had a teacher that told us when I was about a junior or senior in high school, um, y'all kids don't understand struggle. Y'all don't know what's going on. Y'all don't have any problems, right? But in 2022, kindergarten kids have problems with bullying, with self-esteem issues, with body image issues. I mean, with all of these things, because that's just the times that we live in. And so when you start to notice uh, changes in your child's behavior. They used to be happy-go-lucky all the time, and now they're always sad and moping around and, and shutting themselves. It's, it's time. When you start noticing drops in grades, when you start noticing them eating more or less, it's, it's something that's going on. And if they keep on telling you nothing's going on, nothing's going on, I'm all right, I'm all right, find, find somebody that's going to help you unpack what's going on. appreciate that mm -hmm. you yeah. <clears throat> so now, now we are four days away from Christmas so we, we, we're in the heart of the holidays and um, you know I know Mac, Mac and Jit got some got some questions here but I'm not gonna ask why you think but with this being like the I guess the uh, the highest spending time of the year <laughs> what impact do you think finances have on people being depressed and, and dealing with stuff around this time of year major um major we 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 want christmas to be fun we want christmas to be festive we want to do for our we want to provide good christmas for our families for our kids and people walking around again comparing what they can do for their kids versus what the family down the street can do for theirs knowing we don't have the same level of income knowing i mean it's it's just hard because we've got we've got all of these images to try to uphold and and we want to do well for our families um and so a lack of finances pay, plays a big role on people's mental health during this time um and and it's more than just finances um i know a family from one of the previous churches that i pastored um, a, a mother buried her younger sister last Saturday and then buried her daughter this past Saturday. So you got families, not just from a financial standpoint, but you got families that are grieving in ways that they've never grieved before. 
because this is the first time they have a Christmas without a love, without, without a particular loved one. Um, so Christmas is hard for a whole lot of people. And, and it's not and it's, it's just not merry and festive the way that we think it should be. Um, and so uh, you didn't ask this, um, but I think. Um, how do we deal with that? I think we have to learn how to give ourselves some grace. I think we have to learn how to uh, take the time to slow down. Um, I think we have to I think we have to monitor ourselves and be able to say, um, these are the times when I need to be surrounded by family, but also realize that sometimes being around family is too much and give myself permission that if it's too much, then it's okay for it to be too much and it's okay for me to tell everybody, hey, y'all, it's been good, but I need to go take a break for a little while and I'll catch up with y'all later. Um, we, we think it's supposed to be this time of family and, and being together all the time and everybody can't handle that. Um, so you know you you have to give yourself grace give yourself permission not to be all right mm. yeah that was i think you answered most of what i was going to ask um so my my question was really literally along those same lines because i was like i'm still um and probably forever be struggling with the loss of my parents uh as I know other people are, are dealing with loss and, and things that they're grieving about, I feel like I figured out internally what works best for me. And I was going to ask, you know, what, uh, what would you say to someone who feels like they've tried everything and don't seem to be making pro progress? Um, what would I say if they don't? So know that you haven't tried everything. First of all, you, you <laughs> have not. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to exhaust all of your options. But again, you, you gotta, you gotta stay, you gotta stay true to yourself and you gotta keep, keep, keeping an eye on, on how you feel it. Um, you, you gotta be able to look for, you know, the, the signs, uh, in your own self. Um, but again, just, just keep pushing. Don't give up. Um, talk to somebody, um, go see a therapist during this time, pull away when you need to pull away. Um, you know, um, <laughs> some people, um, some people self-medicate. I don't advocate that, but if that's what you got to do for a moment, then you do that for a moment and then you get yourself some forgiveness and get yourself together and move on. Um, that's about the realest thing I've heard a preacher say. <laughs> uh, and, and that's why I said it's going to be probably my favorite show. Because pe people people don't address that, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's okay. You know, um, alcohol, marijuana, all that. You know, you can be a, you can be an addict, but you can also use it temporarily to heal yourself. Right. So you know, I, I see that. Yeah, and like I said, I can't I I can't advocate for it. Yeah, but but I understand. Do what you got to do to right to, to get heal. through the yeah. moment. Right. Yeah. But it, but you know, again, at the end of the day. Um, the, the the alcohol, the marijuana, the pills, whatever, it's not going to take the place of, it's not going to take the place of a real person being there and understanding and empathizing with you. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, it, if that's what you need to do for a moment, do that. And when you get finished, pray about it, get you some forgiveness, and then get yourself get get in counseling. Go talk to somebody. 
I'm I'm yeah. always gonna be suggesting counseling. Yeah, I think uh that's a great point. I also feel like from like my personal experience, um, just based on last year, like uh going through Christmas and the holidays for the first time, it was uh it was cool, but it was also difficult. Mm-hmm. And it, it put me in a position to where like now, um it was it's, it's not even like it's super difficult, but it's just not the same, right? And so, like, for me, that, like, led me to the point to where, like, now I'm trying to, like, I'm pretty much sure we're going to start, like, new tradition, our own tradition. We're going to do this every year instead of doing that to remind us of those situations or, or you know, not not have us in the spirit we want to be in during these times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I think we I think we do ourselves harm when we try to force ourselves to feel a certain way, hmm. right? So, I mean, and again, so it's the holidays and everybody's like, oh, I, it's, I gotta be hot, I gotta be jolly, I gotta be festive, I gotta be, I gotta celebrate. Sometimes I don't feel like celebrating. And just because it's a certain time of the year don't mean that I, I gotta celebrate that. You gotta recognize when you don't feel that and you can't, you can't force it because if you force it, then you end up beating yourself up when you don't succeed in forcing it. Yeah, like um, I think Miss Laura, your um, your member, she put in the comments that laughter is a great medicine, and I think that's that's one of the things that I've used uh, or learned to use from an early age. I lost uh, one of my best friends to gun violence uh, when I was in high school, and just really didn't have you know any outlets to, uh, you know, talk about it or discuss, you know, how I felt. And I mean, I think that's when I just kind of picked up on trying to make people laugh and trying to, you know, laugh at stuff and uh, make jokes and crack jokes and and all that. And I mean, it's a lot of times now you see me cracking a joke, even on social media, like I got some stuff on my mind that I'm having to just uh, uh, deal with it a different way. Uh, rather than trying to take another approach, so I'm gonna be honest with you. Some of the funniest stuff I saw you put out was a few years ago when everybody was doing that. I'm so cold water stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were the king of I'm so cold water. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely um, it's a coping mechanism that I feel like you know kind of keeps me in a safe zone right not to do anything crazy um might say something crazy but not go out and do anything crazy right. so, yeah yeah and, so, and I, I said the same for myself so you know a little different background you know i lost my mother at an early age nine years old and you know her birthday is november 23rd so i put I, every year since then is her birthday thanksgiving christmas you know and sometimes it's her birthday on thanksgiving so uh, it, it don't change, you know, you still got to, you know, deal with it the best you can. Right. And to your point, you know, year after year, uh, we would always, uh, everybody would come into my grandmother's house down west, you know, family from out of state and everything. And uh, she passed for years back. So, you know, we, we, we're trying to carry on the traditions of, you know, we're going to eat over here, we're going to eat over there, we're going to do this and that at these different places. And it's always the same. It's a whole lot of food, <laughs> more food than what we need. You know, um, family dropping in, dropping out. But, um, you know, this time of year has always been happy for me, though. 
it's it's kind of weird because um, when, when I get down, it's at random times of the year when, when you don't think. But I'm always happy this time of year because I know that support system, that family, that you're going to see people whether you get along or not. You know, you, you may have somebody you was into it with all year and the holidays come around, you know, you can stand next to each other, have a conversation. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that's that's what uh, I enjoy about this time of year. Yeah. Um, but but that that mental piece and that laughter, you know, heals. Um, I've been a jokester all my life. And to Jordan's point, I think that was one of my coping mechanisms was to be a jokester. You know, me and Matt used to <laughs> used to run through the halls and, and be, be checking people, you know, at school. And so, you know, it, it was always fun then. But, you know, it wasn't. It was, huh? See, I'm finna fire you up after this. <laughs> so so it, it was always fun. Like, not, not on, like, no, no bully stuff. But, you know, it was, you know, we had fun checking all the time. I yeah. think they're just the cold water way. Yeah. Yeah. Man, thinking about going going back and thinking about, you know, grieving and loss, you know, I, I don't ever tell people, um, I don't ever tell people they're gonna get over it. Um, I tell people what what you have to do is learn how to live with it differently. Right. So I mean, I'm I'm in the same, you know, same, same boat. You know, I lost my mom. I was older. I was 29 when I lost my mom. Um, but still you know, young, though. yeah, still young. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it and it happened at a crazy time, right? Because this was the time where uh, my mom died the summer after I stopped teaching in Shelby County and went to be principal at Senatobia, right? And so, right in the midst of that transition, that's when I lost my mom, and I'm like, okay. Uh, she was going to be one of the ones I was talking to and getting some advice about this new job that I was about to accept because she had been there and done that. And so I, you know, I lost that part of my support system. Um, but again, I don't tell, I don't ever tell people that they're going to get over the loss of somebody. I just tell them that you learn how to live differently with, it. you know, you, you, you learn, you learn which traditions and, and things that you used to do that you're going to continue um, because they bring you joy no, no matter what. Um, or you figure out, like Max said, that, you know, he's doing, he's, he's learning how to make some new traditions and some new mem- mem- memories that are going to bring, you know, different meaning to life. And that's, that's when it comes, I think when it comes to mental health, um, I think it's about making sure that you bring meaning to life in whatever way you can. Yeah. So, uh, you got a question, Matt? Uh, yeah, I do. But it's like the final, my final question. I, I was just going to ask, uh, you know, your conference that you, you put on, I think you last did it right before the pandemic. Am I correct? Yeah. I did, uh, the last time I did it in person was right before the pandemic. Okay. And that was it. During the pandemic. That was it. Uh, Second Baptist, right? right. Uh-huh. What what do you recall um, the response being at that time? Uh, would you bring in something like that to a small town uh, like Coldwater? I, I had good response. So that was when I did it at Second Baptist. That was the third time I had done it. The two, the previous two times I had done it in Memphis, and I didn't have, um, I didn't have the the attendance that I felt like I needed to really make a difference. Um, but at the same time. I was I was really 
my whole point was to be able to go into the church and in the church talk about something that the church didn't really make it a habit of talking about. Um, and so to that end, I felt like I accomplished that the first two times. Um, the time I did it at Coldwater at Second Baptist, I really needed that one um, to jump off and be successful because that's the one that I was using for um, for my doctorate, for my for my dissertation information. Um, so I really needed that one to be successful. And, and that one really went off. Um, but the whole idea around that. So what I did um before the conference that day, everybody that came in, I gave them like a pre, like a survey, a pretest that kind of measured everybody's opinions about mental health and mental illness. And so my idea was the more we talk about mental health and more, the, the more we talk about mental health and mental illness in the church, the more you change people's minds and opinions and attitudes about it. So what I did was before the conference, I gave everybody a pretest. And then we went through the conference. And then at the end of the conference, I gave everybody the same pretest. And I compared the before and after results. And just in that four hours, you know, opinions had changed about certain things. Um, because, and, and the reason the opinions had changed was because they were getting information that they had not heard before. And so when you, when you get information you hadn't heard before and you start learning things you haven't learned before, then of course your opinion is going to change. Your attitude is going to change. And that was what my whole, you know, thought process was. What I'm trying to do is is change opinions, change attitudes about mental health, so that people can go and get the help that they need. And so that's that's what that was all about. Yeah. So what's next for Dr. Jackson? Ooh. In addition to he said, Woo. <laughs> in, in addition to your ministry, your current ministry. Okay. Um, so one of the things I'm working on is getting. Um, getting my, my dissertation turned into a book. So I'm looking for a publisher with that. Um, and um, just continuing, um, like I said, with, with my church, um, I, um, I'm hoping to have some kind of counseling services at our church, coming out of our church within the next three to five years um, for mental health. Um, when, when Twitch died, um, I wrote a poem and uh, it's been a while since I wrote anything, so I want to I want to get back to writing um, from a poetry standpoint, not necessarily about mental health and illness, but just writing in general because because um, that used to be such a big you know part of my life and everything, and I want to get back to that. But other than that, trying to get it, trying to get used to and adjusted to these Atlanta streets. <laughs> do, do you want to share the poem, or it's just part, it's personal? Oh, I don't. I don't have it memorized. Let me see if I can find it. Okay. Why? Why? Why are you looking for that? Uh, it wouldn't be me if I didn't um, say something off the wall. What? What advice do you give to? And I think you include yourself in this, but uh, delusional Dallas Cowboys fans who um, keep thinking they're gonna go to the Super Bowl every okay. year. So I'm gonna be absolutely honest with you. <laughs> I don't ever start off the season saying that. <laughs> this all that this our year stuff. I don't ever start off the season like that. that Ninety five was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> so we ain't, we ain't even got to do all that. I will say, uh, 
I am excited about the possibility of adding Odell Beckham Jr., whether or not that happens. Um, let me see. What else can I say positive about them boys? We still them boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so I think we're going to um... – we're gonna end the show with uh Max, um, one of his songs off of uh his latest album, Pain Management. Uh, we definitely want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been a two hour episode, definitely feel like we could go a lot longer. Um, so guys, we might have to do a part two, um, uh, or something later on. Uh, but definitely just want to thank you for coming on and uh giving us your time and uh, just sharing with us and being so real and so transparent. So um, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get uh, some some good stuff out of this. Well, yeah, I, appreciate appreciate that. That. I appreciate that. I appreciate y'all having me on. Um, is anything I can do to help? Um, I'm here, and um, I, I just I just want people to find the help that I found. Yeah, because again, the destination is to stay here. Yeah. Well, we yeah. definitely appreciate you, man. Appreciate y'all. All right. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Yes, sir. Let's see. Make them play the God Talk. Uh, if, if you find that point later, if you want to share it, we can post it to the Sticks and Stones page. Okay, I found it. You, 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 want, you want to read it or you want to hold off on it? So I can, can read it. Okay. Let's do it. So the name of this is For All Who Twitch. The darkness seeps through skin and into veins like fentanyl. I have overdosed on your words and advice of vague optimism. Look for a brighter day. Keep your chin up. But my hope is this bed, this bottle behind these closed drapes, this pill. Arsenic words, arsenic of words, misunderstanding. Blind me from seeing worth and value because how could it be so bad? You have so much to live for because do you even see me? My loneliness in crowded rooms, my crossed and unsure eyes, arms, the dead in my eyes, cloaked behind a crooked smile. Did you notice me wearing the same jeans for nine days straight? I only changed shirts. Did you notice? Do you hear the overcompensation in speech patterns exuding confidence? I am strong, you know. Redwood strong, blue whale strong, mountain gorilla strong. I am weak. Who am I kidding? The beating of my chest is to break up the phlegm of fear <laughs> excuse me was i was i in your way pardon me i apologize for living i should dance i should dance on social media i should dance for reposts for retweets for likes for hearts for all the world to see i am all right see me smiling i'm all right see me smiling i like this song do you like this song i do i like this song is what i tell myself I like this life is what I tell myself. I believe it, don't you? I have convinced you, right? It's raining against my window. I can stand it, need it, want it, the rain. It's deep. That's it. It's deep. Yeah. Boy, that was deep. I had to turn my camera off. I'm about to cry. That's why my <laughs> camera went off. Appreciate it. But as promised, um, here's God talk. Um, off backs, um, 
latest album, Pain Management. Therapy is something that we all need. It's something we can all use. It makes us all better. It forces us to look into the mirror and fix ourselves. Turn on the camera, light the candle. Let's get into it. My post-traumatic intuition's been counterintuitive. The conversations transcended, visions translucent. My blessings transparent, sessions therapeutic. Better healthcare, abundant self-care. Therapists from the inner city, so I ain't gotta seek help elsewhere. Until then, I listen to Rob talk. High frequency God talk. Paint pictures with these flows like on Bob Ross. They trying to kill you when we trying to heal you. When they get reckless, let these forces steal you. Pump your brakes, check your rear view. And don't ain't nothing but the past there. Don't let it creep up from behind and hit your ass, yeah. On the road, let's travel. Searching for everlasting freedom. On a journey to make believers out of make believers. In my environment to survive, you had to move mountains. And when we make it out, we don't usually choose counseling. But change isn't gonna just come. Yeah. We have to create change. It's not gonna fall out of thin air. So let's get together and create the change that we actually want to see such a hope. Freedom isn't free. Sometimes I feel like neither are we. It's freedom with contingencies. Freedom. Uh, from struggling to hustling to privileged discussions with medicinal properties to curb the self-destruction then keep my life on track just like the train that is conducted in. Made my house a home without the building it's constructed in. Overall, know yourself and know the law. Taking all these hits got me in the booth like a concussion protocol. My wedding was in October, that's the only time I chose to fall. Every other time I got knocked down and rose above it all. Watching what I say now, this rap be controlling y'all. Don't slide down the wrong lane and get holes in you like a bowling ball. Treating your mental health could change your lifestyle. Don't let your past traumas keep you from flourishing right now. I'm gone. Depression, devastation. Death, divorce, debt, deadbeat, despair. There is a black male mental health struggle. I became a therapist in therapy. The unsustainability of black male trauma, black male rage, black male resentment is a real thing, an unsustainable thing. So what's the struggle? One in four psychologists are black. And when I say black, I mean that includes black men and black women worldwide. For every 100,000 black Americans, only one black psychiatrist. 7% of black men received any form of mental health services in the last couple years. Black youth, particularly black boys, are introduced with the struggle of mental health at a very early age. It's treated in elementary school by suspension of special education referrals. struggle. That's it. The inadequacy 
uh, practitioners who look like black men who have a unique experience with mental health. What does that mean for all of us? The current mental health industry does not sustain black male trauma, black male rage, black male resentment, which means we have to look at the factors that are uniquely attributed to black males in this country, 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 country. That's that. Who in the world put Bob Ross in they rap? <laughs> yeah, be some cold water. <laughs> the, the, the mayor of North Street. <laughs> Happy little trees. <laughs> hey, well, I can tell you, I've listened to that one more than any other song in the album. You know, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, well, we ain't gonna hold hold you any longer, Doctor Jackson. No, you gotta. Uh, your wife coming home very soon. He got 22 minutes. 22 I minutes. See, I see him keep checking that <laughs> clock. I was like, yeah, let me get him up out of here. <laughs> man, but we, we definitely appreciate you, man. And, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate y'all. It, it, it don't have to uh, be just by invitation from us. If you got something that you want to hit on, let us know. And, yep. and we'll definitely work that out. All right. I appreciate it. All right, Dr. Jackson, uh, Sticks and Stones viewers, until next time, appreciate it. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, y'all. Yes, sir. Peace.